0: Brent and Chase Wilsey.
1: All righty, welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Chase Wilsey, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Uh, as always, getting you through that uh, next hour, giving you your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Uh, you want to call on the show later, phone number here is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833 288 0973 As always, give me some time here to kind of go through uh, some different things that occurred during this week. But after that, we'll get straight to the calls, normally around 8-15, 8-20 there. Uh, start off, gosh, another interesting week that we saw here in the market. Uh, after eight weeks of declines in the Dow and seven weeks of declines in the S&P and the NASDAQ, we we did finally see that, that positive uptick. And I just got to say, I mean, this is why it is darn near impossible to to trade stocks. I mean, who would have thought we would have seen an up week this week? We've just seen negatives after negatives. And you never know when you're going to have those big upturns, when the downturns are going to happen, at least in the short term. That's why here at at Wilsey Asset Management, at the Smart Investing Show, we can focus on buying businesses and not trying to get involved in the craziness of the stock market, because truly, it is a crazy place in in the short term. And kind of talking about this volatility, especially not really knowing why things were up this week. The only thing I I could have really seen was there's some positive news in retail. I'll I'll get to that in a second. Also to the PCE, which is the Fed's preferred measure for inflation. That came in yesterday. Decelerating rates, so it's still near really 40-year highs, but it wasn't as high as last month. I'm going to say keep a close eye on that over the next few months. I I did see gasoline is now up 11% compared to just last month. I know diesel has surged as well. I've talked about this in great length over the past few shows, but I think that means we could see inflation elevate again over the next couple of months. That could be, again, problematic for the markets. I do continue to believe that over the next couple months, we will see a bear market in the S&P 500. We've already seen one in the NASDAQ. Uh, I do believe we will see one in the Dow there as well. Of course, when I always preface that by saying, don't trade because of my prediction that we might see a bear market, it is just kind of forewarn people and and to expect that volatility. If you have the good companies, the sound businesses, I'm not worried about those price declines. I know in a couple years or even 12, 18 months down the road, I believe that, that things will be in, in good shape, again, for the right companies. So be patient, make sure you understand those businesses that you hold, and make sure, again, they're not overpriced. I think those are the, the companies that are gonna have great issues as inflation and interest rates continue to be problematic. But let's get to it. Uh, let's talk about here retail. I, I, I mentioned that here briefly, but we've seen companies now like Target and Walmart, gosh, get absolutely hammered this earnings season. Walmart earlier this week was down about close to 25% from its 52 week high, and then Target down over 45% from its 52 week high. While valuations may start to appear attractive in the retail industry, be careful as inflation could weigh heavily on these companies. In an inflationary environment like this, you want to find companies that have pricing power and that can offset their cost inflation. In the retail space, I am more interested in companies that own their own brands, as I believe that the right names can increase prices to offset those rising costs. And it's really been an interesting dynamic that we've seen here in the retail space. I mean, you've seen companies, of course, mentioned Walmart and Target. Costco reported yesterday. They had okay numbers. They, uh, again, have a, a big benefit in their membership that, that creates that reoccurring revenue for them. But then even you saw names like Macy's and Nordstrom do well. And you've even seen names like Dollar Tree and Dollar uh, General. They've done well. And then there's other retailers that I'm going to say in the middle of the road, like gap. They really struggled. They said their old Navy brand was really hit quite hard. It seems like there is this dichotomy between high end retail and then also the low end, the high end and the very low end. They're doing well, but the middle of the road retail companies, they're really struggling now, which is kind of an interesting dynamic to see uh, during this inflationary environment. Now, talking about the, the brand, the reason I like brand names, and, and you know you think of names like Nike, Adidas, uh, you know a name like Michael Kors, who is now owned by Capri Holdings. Those are brands, and I'm not saying go out and buy one of those names. I'm just using them as, as an example here. The reason I, I like to buy the brand is you're not having to necessarily worry about competition from brands going to direct consumer. I also believe that they will be able to have a easier offset of the cost inflation. They they have an easier control of what their costs are, and then they can pass that directly to consumer. Where you know companies like Target and Walmart, they're buying many times, or, or even companies like Macy's or like uh, Kohl's, they're buying products from other brands and then reselling them. I think they're having to battle. What I'm going to call almost double inflation because they're having to battle all the input costs that the brands are having. Now the brands are having to increase their costs and they're having to pass that on to the end retailer as well. So I would just say, be careful of those names. I know that the valuations are starting to look attractive in some of those names, but you want to understand the breakdown. I talk about a name like Target, for example. I mean, the, the valuations on that company look phenomenal. If you do wanna kinda see a little bit more detail on what I'm talking about, I I did do a YouTube video yesterday on our our Smart Investing Show channel, again on YouTube there, breaking down the numbers on Target, seeing if it looks like a good buy. But I bring them up because I do believe they have some of their own branded products that they do sell. If that was a company I was interested in buying, I'd wanna know now how much of their sales come from their brand. I think that is a huge, huge advantage over other retailers that don't have branded products. I think that's the place that you wanna be looking right now in the retail space. So again, check out that YouTube video. You just go to Smart Investing Show uh, with Brent and Chase Wilsey there. You can look that up on YouTube and, and see more details on Target, see kind of my thoughts on, on that business at this time. Uh, next up here, let's talk about the real estate market. Gosh, another asset class that uh, you know I'm, I'm gonna say has done quite well obviously over the last year, but it does look like things are are starting to slow down here. And it appears those rising interest rates could now be impacting the market. New home sales in the month of April fell 16.6% compared to March and were down 26.9% from April 2021 at an annualized rate of 591,000 units. The result greatly missed the estimate of 750,000 and was the lo- slowest sales pace since April 2020. And that was a very interesting time period. Obviously, that was right when COVID was hitting quite drastically. So that that's pretty astonishing when you break down those numbers. Now, while new home sales account for a smaller percentage of overall home sales, it is based on signed contracts in the month, which can be considered more up to date when comparing against closings. The slower sales pace resulted in a nine-month supply of newly built homes. A six-month supply is generally considered a balanced market between buyers and sellers. One other major negative for builders is that they are starting to see an uptick in cancellation rates. This is just one indicator, but with affordability remaining difficult, I am still looking for a small pullback over the next six to twelve months, which could present some buying opportunities. I mean, kind of looking at some other numbers here too. Uh, talk about the new home sales, the existing home sales is a, a much larger market when you actually look at the economy here and, and people buying, selling homes, but existing home sales last month, they did, could decline 2.4% compared to March at a seasonally adjusted rate of 5.61 million units. And also sales were 5.9% lower than in April, 2021, which was the slowest rate since June, 2020 now this does represent closings during the month so that's likely contracts that were signed in february and march when mortgage rates really started to rise so it's going to be interesting to see next month how existing home sales did because that'll now be based off of contracts that were signed in march and april likely now the thing that continues to be the problem here is inventory at the end of april it said it just million homes for sale, which was down 10.4% from April 2021 at the current sales pace that represents a 2.2 month supply. So there's still a lack of supply in the real estate market, which is why you continue to see housing prices remain elevated in my opinion. I think the demand side of the equation is really starting to slow down. Is the supply side of the equation going to become more balanced? That's what could cause prices to decline somewhat. Now, also, too, kind of looking at the dynamic of who is buying homes right now, all cash sales remained high at about 25% of all sales. Uh, also, to investors made up 17% of sales and first-time homebuyers made up just 28%. Historically, that first-time home buyer generally makes up about 40% of the market. So that is something to be cognizant of. I uh, continue to believe, as well, that that decline in the first-time home buyer is a, a big negative for the housing market. Some reasons for that, I hate to say it, but I I think they're a little bit more emotional many times with the home buying process where investors, at least they should be looking at what their return on investment's going to be, their cash flow, you know, how long is it going to take to break even on that investment and so forth. A lot of first time home buyers don't have that mentality. Just unfortunately at this point, they can't afford the pricing of these homes. So I think that could continue way negatively on the demand side of the equation. Now, kind of speaking on the supply side of the equation, there is some interesting dynamics coming out now. And, you know, could the rising mortgage rates and cooling housing demand actually increase housing supply? And I'm saying, what do you mean here, Chase? Well, actually, according to realtor.com, the supply for homes increased 9% last week compared to the same time period last year. This was the largest gain since the company began tracking the metric in 2017. Redfin also announced new listings rose nearly twice as fast during the four week period ending May 15th compared to the same time last year. The concern of perhaps a housing peak could cause more sellers to try and lock in gains before prices fall. This comes as pending home sales dropped 4% in the month of April, And we're down 9% compared to April 2021. So again, I talked about those contracts being signed in March and April having an impact in existing home sales next month. Definitely a report to uh, keep a close, close eye on. And uh, kind of another thing talking about pricing, you did see nearly one in five home sellers drop their price during the four-week period ending May 22nd. That's the highest rate since 2019. And that's according to a weekly Redfin study published uh, this past Thursday. And the same four week period saw 13% fewer homes for sale browser searches on Google and a 12% year over year drop in home tours and other related services from Redfin agents. The largest such decline since April, 2020. And again, I'm gonna talk about these housing prices. You've seen double digit gains, very solid double digit gains over the last year. And the thing is, I just don't see how it can sustain itself. Now you're starting to see the side of the equation where I talked a lot about the demand side. It is starting to pull back. The big question as I've talked about here is, is that supply now going to increase? And you could start to see maybe housing prices pull back a little bit. You're starting to see less people tour homes at this point. Less people to go to those open houses and so forth. Could put a little pressure on sellers to say, you know, I've done well on my house. I think I am ready to list it, kind of get them to to push themselves to list. And specifically, I, I hate to say it, but here in California, we have a lot of clients that look at leaving the state. Well, they might be saying, you know, I think I want to lock in this price before I move out of the state and maybe a year or two. So that could increase supply. We know demand is declining, so you have an increased supply and declining demand that would obviously push down housing prices. Now I wanna be very, very clear here. I don't foresee anything like we saw back in 2007, 2008. People were just over leveraged to the tilt, causing a lot of foreclosures that caused a complete collapse in housing prices that is not going to happen right now. People have so much equity in their homes and a large chunk of that does stem from the the regulations, the changes that that came after the housing crisis to try and prevent another housing crisis. So what I am looking for is perhaps maybe a five to 10% pullback. Don't think that you're going to see a 30% pullback in housing prices because then people just aren't going to sell their homes. That'd be a a silly thing for them to do, but five to 10% in that range they've still done well. They've still had good price appreciation. They've probably still likely made good money, but that I think would create a more healthy environment in the real estate market. And again, it, it could really present some good buying opportunities for you know first time home buyers for investors. So I think a five to 10% pullback in the housing market could be a, a very healthy uh, dynamic for, uh, again, the real estate market here, especially as the interest rates continue to rise. That's put even more pressure on affordability, which was even a big problem before interest rates went up on that 30-year mortgage. So keep a close eye on it. A lot of people think we're anti-real estate. We're not anti-real estate. We just are big on looking at the numbers and trying to understand them, making sure we're making good investments, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, whether it's real estate investment trust, always want to look at the investments, make sure you're getting good value there. So housing market, those are my opinions there at this point. going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out here over the coming months. Moving on to uh, another favorite topic of ours being facetious, of course, talking about cryptocurrency, talk about this uh, a little bit more as of late, but going to focus more on the tax side of the equation. In a recent study, it was estimated that the IRS may be missing out on more than $50 billion per year from crypto traders not paying their taxes. Barclays said they believe the gap is likely much larger than that. Although crypto traders may believe since their trades are anonymous, they will be protected. I would warn there are other ways the IRS can find discrepancies in your tax return. Again, they want their money. They'll find ways to make sure you're paying your fair share in taxes there. Now when doing your taxes, you may have noticed on your 1040 forms the question at any time during 2021, did you receive, sell, exchange, or otherwise depose, excuse me, dispose of any Financial interest in any virtual currency this must be answered under penalty or perjury if you lie and say no This is a very very dangerous path to go down if you say yes, and don't report any gains This could trigger a red flag to the IRS after filing you may believe you got away with not paying taxes But if you look at the IRS website, they can go back several years Generally, the IRS can include returns filed within the last three years in an audit, but if they identify a substantial error they may add additional years. They say they usually don't go back more than the last six years, but they said usually. So if they identify some barely negligent actions there, I I, I don't know how far they they would go back. I don't know what the, the longest is on history here, but it sounds like they could go back even further than that six-year period. So you got to be very, very careful. And to me, if you made gains in crypto, Congratulations but I believe it would be extremely foolish to lie about what you owe in taxes. And uh, kind of talking about some things they'll see. I mean, if you have an infusion of cash, I mean, you almost have to wash that money, so to speak, like you're laundering money. You gotta be very careful. I mean, the IRS can see different things coming in and out of your bank account during that audit. And they see this huge infusion of, of cash. All of a sudden, where did that come from? That's a huge red flag. So make sure you're not doing anything deceitful here. It, it, it could just be very catastrophic, especially if you have penalties that accrue over time. The IRS penalties are, are quite hefty, and all of a sudden you, you could really wipe out all the, those gains that you had in crypto uh, with taxes and penalties down the line if you aren't smart about it. So that's my two cents there on taxes. I always, you know, as much as we all hate to pay taxes, you don't want to get in trouble there. You want to make sure that that you're doing the right things when it comes to the IRS and, and avoiding any potential. Penalties, as I mentioned. Uh, with that, we, we will open the phone lines here. So you want to give us a call at 833 288 0973. Again, that's 833 288 0973. Happy to start taking those calls there. But I, I did mention last week if you did want to send us an email, you want to you know uh, give us a note on our website, mention a uh, send us a message on social media more than happy to to look at stocks if you're not able to call during this allotted time of eight to nine so more than happy to do that and we did get a couple of emails this week so uh with that i'm going to take a look here at an email from greg he mentioned mentions that he's in hawaii so hopefully he can try and listen Uh, but if not for those that, that do listen, we are available by podcast if you miss the show live here. Uh, so just go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com, and you can listen to the podcast at any point. But Greg says he, he is curious about a stock by the name of Genco Shipping. It was actually mentioned here in Barron's this uh, last Saturday. Uh, looked quite intriguing. The headline says the shipping stock has about a 14% dividend yield. Uh, Greg asks if it is too good to be true. So let's take a look at Genco Shipping and Trading. Their ticker symbol here is GNK. And again, they are in the marine shipping industry, which, well, very interesting uh, company here, just considering all the shipping issues and the supply chain issues that we've had over the last year. We obviously know all those ships that were off the coast and the ports here during the holidays i'm sure this company's probably done quite well but uh, let's let's look at the numbers here again ticker symbol is gnk for genco shipping and trading starting off as i mentioned industry's marine shipping short percentage of float here 4.3% nah, nothing too crazy there institutional ownership at about 80.5% now turning to the valuation ratios price to earnings wow 4.9 industry average though, 3.3 Price to sales is 1.8, also above the industry average of 1. Price to tangible book value at 1.1, above the industry of 0.6. And price to cash flow is 4, while the industry average is 2.5. Now I see a peg ratio of 0.1 that's very attractive. So all these valuation ratios, even though they're above the industry, I mean, gosh, th- those are some just fantastic valuations. As Greg mentioned, maybe almost too good to be true there. Now, looking at growth, no growth on the earnings. I'm assuming that's likely because 2020 through uh, part of 2021, they had negative earnings. So that likely created no easy comparison there for for growth. Sales over the last one year, well, those were up 72.8% while the industry averaged up 50.8%. Five-year estimated growth, this is very strange, 60.3%. I'd assume that their growth has already happened. I I would almost call it a a peak in this type of cycle. Now here's that dividend yield. I show here 12.6% is the yield for Genco. That is very attractive. I got some uh, numbers or or some reasoning behind that here after I finish the numbers for Genco. But uh, buyback yield, not buying back stock here. Turn to the balance sheet, 2.8, plenty of liquidity there. Debt to equity is 0.2 or 20% to the industry average 0.7 or 70%, that's very attractive and, and one thing that I have some numbers here that I looked at ahead of time is they've done a great job paying off debt over the last year. They really focus on that, cleaned up their balance sheet. I think that's really made them a best in class player here as they can be a lot more effective than some of their other competitors. Uh, Looking at the the current profit margin at 37.2, that is above the industry average at 32.4. I do see return on equity here at 23.7, and return on invested capital at 20.8. So I'm I'm gonna say all these numbers do look very, very attractive for Genco shipping and trading. See a current price here for Genco of $25.18, right near the 52 week high of $26 a share. And done very very well off the 52-week low of $13.21, almost a double from that low. See year-to-date return 68.7%. I do see over the last three years up 302.4% and five years up 190%. I mean this company has done phenomenal. Market cap now is about a billion dollars, so that's a little bit on the smaller side. But if we go forward. We're going to look out here to, let's see, we're going to go out to December 2023. I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.01. Again, if we use our, our target multiple of 16.6, we get a target sell price of $66.57. So that looks very attractive for, for this Genco company. Ford PE there, 6.28. I mean, that is just a, a very very positive valuation on the forward PE multiple. But I, I do wanna point out again, this is a very cyclical industry. You have to be careful. All of a sudden you can go from $4 in earnings down to you know a penny in earnings or, or something very drastic like that. Obviously I talked about the difficulties during COVID, they weren't making any money. So be very cognizant of the cyclicality of this, where you could have this huge target sell price and then it falls off a cliff because that cycle is starting to come to an end. I mean, kind of speaking to that point, we, we know the shipping industry faced a lot of difficult conditions in the 2008 through 2009 global financial crisis, and it took a decade to work through an oversupply of ships, and that plagued the market and depressed shipping rates. Now, meanwhile, Genco, it appears, actually did go bankrupt in its past. Now I think they learn from that mistake, obviously have a very clean balance sheet, so that's a positive. But you got to be careful of this industry just because of that cyclicality i mentioned that debt pay down that has done wonders for the company as their all-in daily cost of running its ships is now about eighty one hundred dollars fleet wide that compares to a lot of their other competitors where their daily break-even cost is more than ten thousand dollars per ship and a lot of that's due to higher interest rate and debt payment costs so genco because that clean balance sheet can operate with much higher margins than a lot of their competitors. Now, speaking of that dividend, I know a lot of you are playing, wow, 14, 13% dividend yield, that's very intriguing to me. One thing I will point out is it is not a, what I call, I'm gonna call it a guaranteed dividend rate. The reason for that is they now have a formula for the dividend yield. The way that that formula works is they take the operating cash flow minus the capital expenditure, debt repayment, and then an additional cash reserve. Now, whatever is left after that, that's what they've had a, as the dividend. So their first quarter dividend this time is 79 cents per share, which was up 5 cents in the year ago period. And that's where you would get about that 14%, 13% yield. Be very careful with that because as I said, during cyclical times, you go from a 14% yield, let's say in two years, all of a sudden they have no earnings, they're not going to pay out a dividend because they are based off of the formula that the company has started to implement here. So. Just be careful. I, I think a lot of the numbers look good. I like a lot of the story, but I, I just, I do worry that you could start to see the stock top out as I I believe the cycle could turn here, Uh, perhaps not this year, but maybe 2023, it it could be a dangerous game to play. Uh, I do think especially these companies are battling now, obviously rising energy costs. They've been able to offset those costs due to all the money in the economy and the strength in the consumer. But if things do turn all of a sudden, shipping rates will likely decline. That would be a negative for again, both the earnings and now the dividend side of the equation. As well. So, Greg, I hope that helps. I hope you uh, were able to listen out there in Hawaii today. But again, if not, that's okay. You can always check it out on our podcast there. Did want to mention as well, I went through a lot of different things with the real estate market, the cryptocurrency taxes, and so forth at the beginning of the show if you're interested in those topics, hey, that was pretty interesting. I don't get the time here on the show to cover all the topics that we looked at during the week, but we do have our Smart Investing newsletter, our Smart Investing blog that you can sign up for to to get all the the different topics that we cover. Just go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. And there again, you can listen to the podcast, you can sign up for our newsletter. Also check out videos that we've done on the news or that's Smart Investing Show YouTube channel that I talked about. Already a uh, phone line still open here. You wanna join the show, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. As I mentioned, I did get a few different emails here. So uh, next email I got was from Zach says, hello, Chase, I've been listening to your radio show for a few years now, and I have learned a lot from my mistakes thanks to you and Brett. Brent giving sound advice and great insight. Uh, last Saturday, you said we listeners could email you with a question about a stock, so here we go. If you have downtime on one of your Saturdays, there's Memorial Day weekend, so maybe people are sleeping in here, not ready to call in. There's that downtime. Could you look into Nintendo? Most video game stocks are too volatile and have extremely high P- P.E. ratios, but Nintendo has been around for a while, has made four of the top seven consoles of all time, and their return on invested capital has been impressive lately. They also do a lot of business in China, and I don't see video game demand going down over the next five to 10 years. Is Nintendo a good value stock? Let's take a look here again at that company Nintendo. I do know there's been a lot of I want to call it interesting dynamics in the gaming space. We know that Activision Blizzard is part of that uh, deal with Microsoft to get acquired. Now, a lot of people are also looking at saying perhaps there'll be more consolidation in the industry, especially a lot of big tech players, perhaps trying to now keep up with Microsoft in the gaming industry. I know years ago, I read an article that, that made a lot of sense to me about perhaps Apple buying uh, Nintendo here just to, to try and expand their gaming sector, uh, made sense. I'm not sure if there were ever talks or anything between the two companies. It was just a, a speculation article that, that I read. But with that, let's take a look at Nintendo, see if uh, there's a good opportunity here in the company. Very strange start here, ticker symbol, well, after the ticker symbol, of course, ticker symbol is N-T-D-O-Y. I say very strange start because the institutional ownership is just 0.4%. Turning to the valuation ratios, I see the P.E. ratio of 14.4, very favorable compared to the industry average of 49. Price to sales of 4, below the industry average of 4.5. Price to book value of 3.5, below the industry average of 4. And then also, to price to cash flow of 18.2, very favorable against the industry average of 26.5. Looking at earnings per share over the last year, down 1.4% while the industry was up 31.4%. Sales also fell 4.8% while the industry was up 27.7%. You gotta understand the huge discrepancy there. That is quite strange to have that large of a difference. Looking at the dividend, you get a very nice dividend with Nintendo, I did not know this. 4.1% dividend rate and the company uses, I'm gonna call it a little elevated amount of earnings at 50.7% to pay out the dividend. I'm not worried about that dividend going away. I just say it's a little elevated because a lot of times tech companies, they they don't go that high to pay out that dividend yield. Looking at the balance sheet, I do see a current ratio of 3.8. Wow, debt to equity, nothing there. That is a phenomenal balance sheet. Love to see that for companies. I see net profit margin of 28.1, industry average is 10.9. Return on equity at 24.5, favorable against the industry at 12.4. And return on invested capital also very strong at 25.6. Current price for Nintendo, well, $56.09. I see the 52 week high was $78.89, and the low was $52.44. Year to date return down about 3.9%. That does outpace the, the SP 500 and the industry as well. I see over the last 10 years, though, Nintendo's been a great stock to hold up 376. It is quite a large company with a market cap of close to $53 billion. Now, if we look out to December 2023 for the company, again, we use, oh, excuse me, not December 2023. They do report on a fiscal year, so their ending period is March, which means now we're actually even going out to March 2024. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like I have any earnings here for Nintendo. Let me just compare here. Yeah, looks like there is no estimated earnings. That That's unfortunate as the numbers look very, very good for the company up until that point. Uh, so with that, Zach, I, I mean, gosh, I, I wish I had a clearer answer for you as I was getting quite excited about it. But no estimated earnings can't provide a target sell price, which really leaves you on your own trying to formulate a... Earnings growth and earnings numbers for the next year, two years, three years, I, I, I'd i say be very careful of a company that, that doesn't have this type of analyst following. And again, I talked about the institutional ownership. Maybe that's a big problem with it. So, uh, Zach, I again wish I had a better answer for you, but um, kind of on your own with valuing Nintendo stock here. A lot of positives. One thing I will say too be careful of it, it is not a U.S. company. We like U.S. companies here as we trust the Gap accounting. But I hope I pointed you in the right direction somewhat. There with the uh, Nintendo stock, just looking to see if there was any positives. I do see that we have a lot of callers calling in now, so I'm I'm glad we we have a a little bit more action there on the phone lines. So be patient with us if you do see a hold or something's occurring with the the phone lines there. We are pretty loaded. But uh, with that, I, I do want to go out to uh, Milt. I believe he was the first caller here, and talk to Milt and Bonita. Good morning, Milt. You're on the Smart Investing Show. How can I help you this morning?
2: Good morning, and thank you guys for being there. I, we really appreciate all the good information you give out. So the stock I'm interested in is MPW, which is Medical Properties, oh, real real estate investment trust.
1: Yes, do you hold medical properties, or you look? I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Well, let's take a look at, at Medical Properties REITs here, or Medical Properties Trust. Uh, they are in the healthcare facilities industry. That, As you mentioned, they are a real estate investment trust. Very strange here. Short percentage of float is 8.5%. I do know they had a note here recently from a short firm, I believe the name was Hedgeye, uh, talking about shorting the stock shorting the REIT. Uh, if I was looking at buying this or holding this, I would wanna look at that report, understand what the potential negatives are for this company as 8.5% short is a little higher than, than I'd like to see normally. Could be a positive though, if they have to uncover those shorts, could provide an elevated boost to the stock. Do see institutional ownerships at 83.5%. Now turning to valuations, the price to earnings multiple is 9.9, compares favorable, favorably against the industry average 30.9. Price to sales is seven, a little higher than in the industry average of 5.9. That could be dependent on how different REITs structure their their rents. Though some have a triple net lease, I know that's what MPW does, where their sales aren't as high, but their expenses are lower than some of the other REITs. So I always want to understand the structure of how the REITs do charge rents. Looking at the price tangible book value, wow, 1.3 below the industry average of 13.1. I think that's a very, very strong price tangible book value because that's all the real estate that they have in the portfolio, not to mention that's not necessarily even the fair market value of the real estate as they've depreciated some of that real estate in the portfolio. They had to liquidate their entire portfolio. I think you could even get more and appear that that price tangible book value would be even stronger. Price to cash flow is 13.8, below the industry average of 18.8. So for the most part, I'm quite excited about those valuation ratios. And I see a peg ratio of 1.4. Earnings per share over the last one year, wow, up 100%. Curious if they sold any properties or something along those lines to really elevate those earnings. I do see sales over the last one year up 20.8 percent another strong number slightly below the of 22.1 but i'm still okay with that and then also looking at that dividend yield a lot of REITs that's why people like to invest in them is the dividends that they pay and medical properties now pays a 6.2 percent yield That's very attractive. Do see that they've increased that dividend over the last year by 3.6%. They've averaged over the last five years an increase of 3.9%. So I like to see REITs when they do increase those dividends over time. Looking at the balance sheet, current ratio is 1.7. Plenty of liquidity there. Debt to equity, 120%. Not too worried about that. It's starting to go a little bit high, but for a a real estate investment trust, I'm okay with that level. I do see a net margin of 70.6%. Very strong there. Return on equities 12.6 and return on invested capital stands at 8. Now, looking at the current price for medical properties, it's $18.58. 52 week high, well, that's $24.13. And the 52-week low, well, $17.38. So year-to-date stock's down about 20%. Again, I believe a lot of that stems from that negative report that came out from the, the company there. I think, again, hedge eye on the short side of it. But again, if these numbers look good on, on a company like this, it could be a positive rather than a negative. Now, looking forward for medical properties, again, we go out to December 2022. Now we're looking at FFO. And again, we look at FFO rather than earnings because a lot of these real estate investment trusts, they have a lot of depreciation, which is a non-cash expense. That's going to weigh quite heavily on earnings. I'd rather look at FFO, which is a stronger stand in my opinion for the real estate investment trust industry or sector. So we see now for December, 2023, the estimated FFO of $1.91 would give us a target sell price here of 31 dollars and 71 cents so that's quite favorable there's a lot here I like about MPW here melt I, I like the industry that they operate in as I, I don't believe healthcare facilities are, are going anywhere in the acute center and hospitals things like that so I like that industry I like the dividend their balance sheet looks good valuations are strong yeah uh, obviously I have to recommend do your own research and, and look at it further but I, I definitely think it's it's pointing in a good direction for you here
2: okay yeah that's gr- that's great I'm just looking at it you know and like yesterday it didn't go up the market was up big time and of course in the last few days and MPW is just kind of sitting there right at this point in time yeah. so I'm waiting for it to take off here
1: yeah and and i I do think it it's going to move a little bit slower. In my opinion, a lot of times REITs don't pop as much as other stocks. I mean, it's not going to be like a tech stock or anything like that. But again, you get that 6% yield. Let's say it appreciates at 4% per year. It doesn't sound like a whole lot, but oh gosh, all of a sudden that's a 10% return there. That's the way I look at a lot of companies like this is just, you know, steady, consistent price appreciation with good dividends. That's what I'm looking for. Not, not necessarily big pops. I know it is down year to date, I do think it could recover throughout the rest of the year, but I don't think you'll see big price swings in it in, in, in on on given days.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's always good to have something stable in your portfolio so you don't ride the waves up and ride the waves down. You get a stable a stable income and a stable stock. That's a good thing. Yep. And if you can get it at a discount like it is now, I think that might be a benefit.
1: I, I would agree there, Mel. I thank you very much for your help.
2: All God right. bless you. Thank have you, a Mel. good
1: day. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. Have a good one. All righty. Well, with that, let's get right back to another call here. I do see Harrison holding, but we'll get right to Harrison, our financial planner, after we go to Art in San Diego. Hey there, Art. You're on the Smart Investing Show. How can we help you this morning? Hey, good morning, Chase.
3: I'm doing good. Thank you.
1: Of course. Of course. I'm calling you from from Palm
0: Springs today, even though I'm from San Diego. Uh, Ah, How's the weather out there? It's beautiful. Yeah. Nice sunny morning. So. I know it's kind of surprising Um, we got a little rain here today, but.
1: (laughs) Anyways. Oh, I'm uh... sorry, I missed that. I know, (laughs) dumber. (laughs) But anyways, (laughs) let's get to what you want to talk about here.
0: Yeah, sorry. I'm uh, looking to talk about VFC. I've been uh, tracking it for a while. It's come down quite a bit, and I'm uh, thinking it might be a good time to uh, to buy some.
1: All righty. Well, VFC and I, I. Again, I talked about the the brands in the beginning of the show. In this company, I like the fact that they own the brands here, and, and they got some good brands. I, I see Vans, obviously. We all know Vans a quite popular shoe there and company overall in the skate world. We know North Face. That's another strong brand. So they they have some good brands in their portfolio. I, I like to see that. So good start to to the opinion base of the company. Let's see how the numbers look for, again, VF Corporation, VFC, ticker symbol is VFC. Looking at the industry, they are in apparel manufacturing. Short percentage of float, 3.7%. Not too high, not too low, I'd say it's pretty normal. Institutional ownership at 87.1%. I see price to earnings a little bit high at 16.2, above the industry average of 14.9. Priced sales at 1.7, above the industry at 1.2. No price to tangible book value though, and in the industry is at 35.2. I believe a lot of that stems from the acquisitions of those brands they've had over time. You'd want to take a closer look there at the Goodwill on the balance sheet and the intangible assets to better understand it. I see price to cash flow at 22.8, above the industry at 9.5, but I do see a Peg ratio going forward of 0.7. That is positive. A lot of the other valuations do look a little bit elevated compared to the industry. Now looking at the earnings growth over the last one year, wow, up 235.2%. That's a huge gain. Again, a lot of that probably stemming from the negative impacts of COVID. But want to understand those numbers in a little bit more detail, especially if we've as we've had that inflation for the company. With the sales growth at 25.6, also a big positive, but again, how do you grow earnings at 235% while sales are up 25.6%? Are there different accounting measures that we're taking during the quarter to, to benefit the company? Do you see a five-year estimated growth rate of 24.5%? That's very strong. Very good dividend. I did not know that... Uh, EF Corporation paid a nice dividend here of 4%, and uses a payout ratio of 55.2%. I'm okay with that level. Buying back stock, not a lot of it, but their buyback yields 1.3%, so they have been acting in share repurchases. Now, looking at the balance sheet, current ratio's at 1.4, that's a positive. Debt to equity, a little bit on the high side for me. It's 170%. I would want to understand have they been paying down debt? Why is that debt so high? Have they actually not been paying it down and, in fact, taking on debt? That could be a big warning signal for me, one thing that that would worry me a little bit. I talked about the intangible assets here. I see they're 40% in the balance sheet. So, again, I, I believe. You have to understand how much goodwill was taken on for all those acquisitions that they've had over time. When did they occur? How's the cash flow and the synergies been from those different deals that, that have happened over the you know the decades that the company's been in business? I, I say decades, I'm not sure how long they've been in business. I'm I just kind of assuming here. But I see a return on equity of 38.2 and return on invested capital of 15.4. Those are both strong numbers. Current price for VF Corporation $50.18. 52 week high though $84.96. And 52 week low $44.17. I see year to date down about 31%. So it could be a, a perhaps a buying opportunity with a large fall like that for the business. Now going out, this company looks like they do report on a fiscal basis. So we're now going out to March 2024. I see estimated earnings per share of $3.76. That does give us a target sell price of sixty-two dollars and forty-two cents, or gives us about a four PE of thirteen point three six. I believe you said you'd hold it there, correct, Art? Correct, Art? Oh, I, I do not hold it. Oh, I've just been tracking it. it and thinking about buying it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, At this rate, it is still a little bit pricey. And again, I I talked in the beginning of the show about the volatility. I think we'll continue to see. I'd be a little patient with it. I'd say continue to track it. I like the brand names. I'd have to understand that debt level. I like the dividend yield you get with it. But I'd say a little bit too expensive. It'd be in our hold category right now. Would not be a buy just yet at about 13.4 times future earnings. I'd like to buy it when it gets around the 12 times, future earnings point. So I'd say continue to watch it. You might be able to get this great business on sale if uh, the volatility does continue. Hey, uh, great advice, Chase. Uh, thank you very much. Of course. Thanks for calling, Art. Have a good weekend here. You as well. Thank you. righty. well with that, let's uh, go out to Harrison. I believe Harrison's up in uh, Porterville, California today, and uh, let's talk to him about <laughs> some financial planning topics.
3: Hey, Chase. How's it going? Yes, I am in Oh, farm and chickens okay. up in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> okay, there we go.
1: We we kind of cut out there a little bit, but it sounded like maybe we're working out. I heard we're we're looking at the farm and chickens and stuff. So, anyways. <laughs> yeah, all the all the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, I know we want to talk about tax planning, and I'm gonna let you take take the ball here and kind of run with uh, the tax planning versus tax filing and, and what that all means for our listeners.
3: Yeah. So tax filing is you know at the beginning of the picture you W2s you'll get your 1099s and then you'll use those to create your tax return. Um, I hear people a lot say things like oh I need to get a new CPA or I need to maybe stop using TurboTax because I paid too much in taxes last year.
1: Yeah. Harrison, I don't know what, what's going it, on here. Did did you call into the main line or the back line?
3: This is, uh, it's the main line.
1: Huh, yeah, I, I don't know, it's, it's cutting in and out, but um, I don't know, I, I do see we have other callers today. Um, maybe, I'll give you a couple more minutes, just see if it works, or we'll give it one more try here, continue again with the tax filing, and if it doesn't work, I'm gonna have to let you go, and we'll talk about it next week.
3: <laughs> All right, well, we can do that. Um, the main thing I wanted to say is, when you are looking at tax filing, it's, you're looking at last year. So you get your 1099s, you get your W twos, but a lot of what's done is is set in stone. We can't go back to last year and, and adjust things. But when we look at planning, tax planning is about being proactive to structure your assets, debt, and income to keep your AGI adjusted gross income and taxable income as low as possible, as consistently as possible. So we look at this year, ten years down the road. Um, to, to try and keep your tax liability as low as possible, and since we have a bracketed tax system, getting pushed into higher tax usually what hurts people the most over the long. So yeah, almost everyone I see.
1: Harrison, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, Harrison, I'm gonna say, let's save the topic for next week. I know there's a lot of good information there, and it's just it's cutting in and out, so I, I don't want to, you know. Have our viewers or not our viewers, but our listeners kind of miss out on the advice you're, you're given. I don't know what happened. I know we resolved that issue as an issue a couple months ago, but we got it fixed. But Harrison, uh, I'm going to say have a good weekend here. Have a good three-day weekend, and I'll see you in the office on Tuesday, uh, and then we'll get back to tax filing versus tax planning again next week. Uh, great topic. Harrison does a great job of the tax planning side of things. That's what one of his roles as a financial planner. I really want to make sure we can cover that topic in an efficient manner. So with that, we're going to drop Harrison. Uh, he'll be back on the show next Saturday. But uh, let's go out to our next caller here, Jairus. Looks like Jairus is up in Big Bear today. Jairus, how are we doing?
4: Oh, Doing all right, Chase. Uh, just roughing it up over here in Big Bear. Um, but uh, you know what I'm wanting to ask about? the company called AEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because I'm seeing a lot of people out here. They're in... Uh, outdoor gear and they're on bikes and i'm thinking hmm maybe this might be a good company to look at uh see what you think
1: yeah so uh definitely always a good place to start is kind of you know i'm going to call it your your personal research there just looking at uh, what's going on around you. so uh, always an interesting place yeah. to start with the research let's take a look at exactly. american I'm, Eagle.
4: I'm on a I'm on a business
1: trip. Yeah, <laughs> and make sure you write that off. No, <laughs> I can't give tax <laughs> advice here, so that was not tax no, advice. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not.
4: Uh, we're just talking to Harrison, so we'll have to talk to him about that.
1: Exactly, exactly. But uh, let's take a look at American Eagle Outfitters. Their ticker symbol is AEO. Uh, very strange here. Gosh, we know they're an apparel company, but short percentage of float, wow, 38.4%. That is a huge short ratio. What that tells me, though, is if those shorts get uncovered, this stock could just go through the roof as those shorts get uh, get called or uncovered there, sending the stock price higher. So I don't necessarily like to see that high of a short, but it, it could create, again, a lot of volatility and a lot of volatility to the upside sometimes with, with different businesses. Looking at the valuation ratios, wow, current price to earnings for the business 6.5, well below the industry average of 21.6. Price to sales at 0.5, below the industry at 1.5. Price to tangible book value at 2.1 also below the industry average of 15.1. And price to cash flow at 8.9. Again, very strong as the industry average is 15.7. I see a peg ratio going forward of 0.9. That's very attractive. The earnings growth over the last one year, wow, 174%. Well above the industry average of 74%. I do see sales climbed 18% while the industry was up 24%. I think that's the first negative I've seen so far here. And then I do see a five-year estimated growth rate of 8.4%. Again, another positive. Gosh, dividend yield, 5.5%, very attractive on the income side of things, and a payout ratio just 27.1%. I do see the balance sheet, current ratio at 1.7. That does give me plenty of liquidity there. And a debt-to-equity of 130%, again, a little bit high. I'm okay with that. I want to understand what's going on with the debt picture, but it is starting to kind of brush up against that warning sign there for me. I do see day's inventory. That's an important signal for our retailers. You want to make sure they don't have too much inventory. That's at 66.7. That's below the industry average of 95.9. So that's a positive. Day's sales outstanding. They're collecting on their receivables. That's 8.9 while the industry's higher at 11.1. So a net they're positive. I see a net margin at 8.4% above the industry of 7.6%. Return on equities at 29.5% and return on invested capital is at 13.7%. I do see the current price of $13.09, while well off the 52-week high of $38.99, and the low is $11.61. See year to date, the stock's down about 48%, so a big pullback in the stock here. But going forward, if I go out to January 2024, they do report on a fiscal year rather than a calendar year. I see estimated earnings per share of $1.94, That would give us a target sell price here of $32.20. I believe that was actually right close to that high that the company had. Actually, it's below the high the company had. So definitely a a possible rate to kind of return to, especially given these strong valuations. I do believe these numbers I just covered aren't their most recent. I think they reported this last week. And I talked to, what was that drivers? i just agreeing with you. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I, I thought I saw them in the news there. I, I think they got hit quite hard. And, and one thing that the retailers have been talking about is, again, this dichotomy between kind of the high end versus the middle end and the low end is doing well as well, and especially kind of the return from COVID. Like Macy's, I know they pointed out things that have been hot have been, you know, suits, makeup, travel luggage. Not necessarily in American Eagle's case. I believe they are, I think I want to say the second largest denim producer. I think Levi's may be the first, don't quote me on that, but I know they are a large denim jean producer. And it seems like a lot of people now are kind of focusing on their wardrobe and making sure that they're getting that back to work outfit. So I'm not quite sure how American Eagle would play in that aspect. But what I can tell you is the valuations look good the company looks good from an overall standpoint, I would just want to understand what is going on with the business side of the equation. How are they kind of looking at the current retail environment and how is that going to evolve here over the next couple of years? Because again, this could be a great opportunity to get a, a business that could capitalize on a changing retail environment maybe two, three years from now. Right,
4: right. Okay, that's that's what I was thinking. Um, so we're going to do a little more research. Um, real quick, want to give a shout out to Dad. Glad you're giving him a Some time off and uh but you're holding your own so you're doing all right the smart investment show there uh chase and uh one more thing shout out uh for this memorial day to all the families uh, that gave their loved ones uh so we can we can be free and do what we want to do and uh just thank you for all the work you guys do there at uh well so appreciate it very
1: much thank you Jairus, and, and thanks for that shout out there great great points there and uh, you have a, a wonderful Memorial Day weekend here in, up in Big Bear
4: okay we'll catch up with you soon
1: all right that sounds great Gires alrighty 852 here about 853 so I'm gonna try and squeeze in one last call I'm gonna go out to Phil I know he wants to talk about Boeing so Phil how we doing this morning
0: hey great chase how you doing good good Hey, I wanted to throw in one comment to get your opinion on it and then uh, talk about Boeing. Um, of course. You know, I know there's a, you guys do a lot of year over year sales look. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I guess the comment I want to hear is, I think now that could be a deceptive number in the sense that with super high inflation, companies are raising their prices. And I think a more, a better metric to look at would be volume. Or unit sales from a year-over-year perspective, because I think everyone is going to report higher sales only because the prices that they're selling it at are like significantly higher than they were a year ago. So I'm curious on your comment on that. Mm-hmm. And then with respect to Boeing, um, they completely fell off my radar. And when I looked at them last week, they were in, like in the 120 range, which is significantly lower than what I saw like at the beginning of the year when they were close to 200. Yeah. Um, I know they're a little bit of the antithesis of what you guys look at, but I think what's always intrigued me with them is um, competition from like a barriers of entry perspective. Yeah. I picked up a little bit last week, about maybe 2% of my portfolio. And I'm curious on, on your opinion from a long-term perspective.
1: Of course, of course. So I'll start with the sales comment real quick. I mean, obviously, yes, things are, I'm going to say even more interesting because of the COVID dynamic. I mean, you're going to see huge sales fluctuations just because of the way the economy has shifted so much. It's always still important to look at it. But again, you got to understand the number. That's a great point with the inflationary side of things. But I will say there's other points where, you know, we have a high-end retailer in the portfolio where they've intentionally reduced their skew count to try and drive higher margins. So part of the pricing comes from inflation, Part of the pricing is also coming from their reduced inventory so just understanding the number it's it's not necessarily all telltale sign for the company and how they're going to do but it is a good metric to kind of look at but with all the numbers you got to understand that number so I do want to get into Boeing real quick. Hope that was helpful. i got a couple minutes here. So Boeing, let's see, ticker symbol is BA. We know them they their aerospace and defense industry, I do see institutional ownership at 55%, a little low, Tells I me mean, a lot of retail investors are in there, which can create a little bit more, I'm gonna say, uh, volatility is they can be more fickle than institutional owners. Very strange here, no price to earnings multiple for Boeing. I see price of sales is good at 1.3, price to tangible book value, not material there, and, and nothing for the price to cash flow. I don't see any earnings growth as the earnings don't appear to be relevant at this point. Sales was up 8.1% while the industry was up 1.5%. I do see nothing for the dividend yield as well. That is strange. I thought they did pay a dividend. Current ratio, 1.3. That's good in terms of liquidity. Debt to equity, not material. There it tells me the company has, again, no equity. That's concerning. We want to understand that debt level for the business. I see a net margin. Here you go. Negative 8%. So that does tell me again, there's no profits at this point. Return on equity at 31.7%. That is positive, but I, I'm kind of surprised on that as I didn't think the company had equity. So some strange numbers here to have to look at a little bit closer, just considering there was no debt to equity, but a positive return on equity. That's strange to me. Current price for Boeing, $132.23. Wow. I I agree here. Current. 52-week high was $258.40, and the low was $117.08. Year-to-date down 34%. Looking forward to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings of $5.89. does give us a target sale price still of $97.77, so I'm a little disappointed by that. I do see earnings are really estimated to accelerate, I'm going to say around mid-decade, but I, I still do can't justify buying it at these levels just based off of our discipline. So i, I stay say still be cautious with it. I know the CEO, he's, I didn't really like some of the actions he took during COVID. I, I thought it really diluted a lot of the share accounts, kind of hurt their balance sheet and so forth, but, um, great company in terms i want them to do well because you know they are really the the big player here it's them and airbus and I, airbus is not a u.s company so i like them from that standpoint i want them to succeed i want to like it but still i, I can't justify it based off the numbers at this point unfortunately phil
0: all right say great job as usual and have a good weekend
1: thank you you too phil righty. well, that about wraps up the show here. I know we're gonna get that closing bell in just a couple seconds, but just want to, you know, echo what what Jair said earlier. I hope everyone, all the listeners, have a, a great Memorial Day weekend. If you're listening to the show on podcast next week, uh, I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend, and, and do want to thank all, all our veterans for their service. Uh, you know, wouldn't be able to do the smart investing show, wouldn't wouldn't be able to, to you know have the, the type of lives that we do without the, the people that do support our country. So thank you to all our U.S. veterans and for what you do out there. Uh, again, I, I hope you enjoyed the Smart Investing show here. Uh, if you did find it informative, you know there are different tools that we have. I talked about the Smart Investing blog. I talked about, again, that podcast if you missed parts of the show. Also, too, talked about the uh, YouTube channel. Go to YouTube Titan type in the Smart Investing Show with Brent and Chase Wilsey. We cover a lot of different things there. You know, our news segments from KUSI and Fox 5 are listed there. And also, too, we do have our Smart Investing Stock Analysis. But thank you again for listening to the show, the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you would like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Chase Wilsey or brent wilsey at 858-546-4306 again that's 858-546-4306 please visit again our website at smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com and for daily educational information along with investment tips go to our facebook group smart investing with brent and chase wilsey Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. We'll be here next Saturday, and we'll talk to you then.